Good morning, everyone. Uh, just for those who may be visiting or who haven't been here for a while, uh, my name is Richard Pratt, and don't worry, I'm not the regular preacher here. So if it doesn't work for you today, you can still come back. Somebody else will be here normally in the pulpit. But I'm here because this is the weekend where we are emphasizing in your church the mission of the church. And so let me just say as quickly and as simply as I possibly can what it is we are celebrating today. You can see it in the flags that are in the windows here, and it is the fact that Jesus has called every single person that follows him to be on a mission. And the mission is to make sure, as best we can, that every man, woman, and child in the world hears about him and follows him. That is the mission that Jesus gave us. And that's what we're celebrating this entire last weekend all the way to this weekend. It's something we should really have on our minds and hearts every single day as followers of Christ. But that is our focus again this morning, the mission. Now, I am a visiting pastor, visiting preacher, so that gives me a privilege that normal pastors don't have. You know what it is? You get to change what passage you're going to preach from right at the very last moment. So all of you are scurrying through your Bibles trying to find us, page 777. Um, well, that's not the passage. But I suspect that a lot of you know the passage we're going to speak about this morning. And so I'm actually going to ask you to do the scripture reading with me from your hearts. So let me tell you what it is. It is what we normally call in this church the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may call it Our Father. But the Lord's Prayer is going to be the passage that we look at this morning during the sermon. And so I'm going to ask you to recite it with me aloud as the scripture reading. But before we do, we have to settle something. Do we have trespassers or debtors in this church? <laughs> All right, I hear debtors. So that means if you're a trespasser today, you're off the hook. Pretty good, huh? And I suspect most of us are in debt in a number of ways at this point in our lives. So we're going to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So at one point in his life, Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he taught them to pray this way. Speak with me, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we have just recited words that you spoke to your disciples thousands of years ago, and here we are today in the 21st century reciting them in honor of you and reciting them to learn from you once again. And so we turn to you now, our Lord Jesus, and we ask you, please, at this moment, Send your Holy Spirit to us. May he come and fill every heart in this room that we may see the truth, that we may hear it, that we may be empowered by the Holy Spirit 
to walk in the newness of life and following you. And as you do that, we will give you the praise, we will give you the glory for it. Amen. Okay, so this is a weekend focused on the mission of the church. But I want to start off by just asking you to answer in your own mind and heart a simple question. When do most people pray? Okay, think about that question for a minute. When do most people pray? Now, in a room like this, we have people across the spectrum of interest in things spiritual and in things related to the Christian faith and to Jesus of Nazareth. We do. We have people here that all of us would call fanatics for Jesus. We have them here. They're among us. I'm glad you're here. We also have people in this room that wonder why anybody would even think about a Jewish rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago. And certainly, why would they come together in a group like this to adore him and to sing about him and to learn from him? And everywhere in the middle. But I think all of us know that no matter where you are on that range of possibilities, basically we know when most people pray is when something very big is happening in their lives, when something very important is happening in their lives. I mean, any, even someone who's an agnostic, even who doesn't know for sure whether there is a God, if things are falling apart in your life, you'll find yourself driving down the road and asking God to help you all of a sudden. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job or some particularly hard thing. A child is sick. And you'll just cry out to God, not even sure he's there. You'll pray when something big like that is happening in your life or when you're really excited about something happening. I mean, you've seen it before. Somebody will be at a football game and doesn't care anything about religion or about Jesus, and their team wins, and they'll look up in the sky and they'll say, thank you, like that. Yeah, when big things happen, that's when people pray, isn't it? And it doesn't matter who you are, that's normal. Even if you love Christ with all of your heart, there are days that go by and you've forgotten to pray all day long and you lay your head on the pillow and you say, oh Lord, please bless. It's a great sedative, praying in bed. Try it sometime if you have a hard, if you have a hard time sleeping. Well, I think that tells us something about this thing we call the Lord's Prayer. I think it tells us something very important about the Lord's Prayer. And that is that Jesus is not just teaching people how to pray when he gives these words that we just recited. He's also teaching people what was important to him. And what he wanted to be important to his disciples. And what he wanted to be important to all people everywhere in the world in every age who follow him. And I would think that most of us could find those crucial things in life to us somewhere in this thing called the Lord's Prayer. But I think we have to admit where our minds normally go when we start asking that question. Where can I find myself in this prayer? Well, you know how it goes. Our minds and our eyes and our hearts turn toward the bottom half of the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember how that bottom half goes? Give us this day our daily bread. Please take care of me, Lord. Forgive us our debts. Lord, I'm sorry I've done it again. Please forgive me. Lead us not into temptation. 
how the world is just full of things that distract me from the things that I know that are honorable and good. Please help me with those. Most of us would have to admit that that's the centerpiece of our lives. Forgiveness, daily bread, temptation, help me, Lord. And that's wonderful if you are there. Because most people in the world don't even think that deeply about what's important in life. And it is in the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus of Nazareth thought it was vital as well. But it shocks me sometimes to realize how very often Christians don't realize that there is a first half to the Lord's Prayer. The top of the prayer. You know, it's the part that you mumble through so you can get down to something that means something to you. Give us this day our daily bread. That part I got. But what about that top half? And in many respects, what I want to ask you to think about this morning is this. Daily bread, forgiveness of sins, lead me not into temptation, those are very personal. Those are very personal life struggles that we have. And we bring them to God in prayer, there's no doubt about it. But why did Jesus give the first half to set up the second half? And I think the answer is going to be that the reason we pray for our daily bread is so we can do something else. The reason we pray for forgiveness of sins is so we can be engaged something much larger. The reason we want help with temptation is so we can give ourselves to what Jesus thought was most important in life. The first half. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we're right that this is at the top of the list, we need to unpack it just a little bit. So let's start off this way. What did Jesus teach his disciples to say to God about God? Our Father. Those are precious words to followers of Jesus because they tell us, they remind us that the one who created everything, the one who sustains everything, if you come to Christ in faith, he can become your personal spiritual father. That he will care for you. That he knows you by name. That he's interested in your pain and your suffering. He's interested and wants to serve you and help you and take care of you in all the struggles of life. And that's a precious thing in a world like ours today where people feel so lonely, so separated, that God can be your father if you will just come to Jesus. But you know as well as I do that if we think a lot about God as our father, if we think of him constantly, he's my father, he's my father, it isn't long before an, an idea of God, an image of God sort of creeps in to that idea of God as father. And it's something like this, that God is not just your father, God is your sweet granddaddy. You know, it's the image of God sitting in heaven on his rocking chair, 
long white beard. He's rocking back and forth like this and wringing his hands as he looks down on the earth and saying to himself, oh, I wish my children on the earth would just pay more attention to me. If they would just pay more attention to me, I would take care of all of their needs because I am a grandfather and I exist to make them happy. We get that image of God in movies, we get it in books, we get it all around ourselves that if there is a God, then he must be our father, and that means he's like a sweet granddaddy who lives to make his grandchildren happy. I know what a sweet granddaddy is. I am one. I'm one of the sweetest. And when the grandchildren were young and little, I was determined that when I walked into the room, they would start salivating like Pavlov's dogs. And the way I ensured that that would happen would be that I would get them whatever they wanted. And if they wanted one of them, I'd get them two. If they wanted two, I'd get them three. If they wanted a little one, I'd get them a bigger because more and bigger is better. And the most important thing to every grandfather in this room is that their grandchildren love them. That'll even get an amen from a Presbyterian. Well, if that's what you think God is like, I hate, I hate to tell you this, it's not true, but I do want to give you this relief because if you think God is like a sweet granddaddy that exists to make you happy, you're going to be sorely disappointed because you're not always going to be happy. And you're going to make the big mistake of blaming God for the things that go wrong in your life. So I do have some good news for you. This is not what Jesus meant. This is not what he meant when he said, pray our Father. And we get the first hint of this by the fact that he says, pray our Father in heaven. And every time you look in the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, when you see heaven, when you see descriptions of heaven, it's always the same. It's not where God's rocking chair is. No, no, no. Heaven is the throne room of God. It's where God sits on a throne. Blinding light radiates from him. A river of fire pours out from beneath his feet. And there are these creatures that are crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hallowed be thy name. You see, that is what Jesus had in mind when he said, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He was talking to them about heaven. Heaven as the throne room of God. And you might be shocked by this, but it was very common in the ancient world of the Bible, both in Israel and outside of Israel, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament times, to speak of kings as your father. So this is what Jesus is telling us. Top of the list for him and for you and me is that we understand who God is. He is our royal father, enthroned in heaven. May his name be kept holy. Now, if you are an American, that's a very hard thing to reach your heart. And if you've been influenced by American ideology and American politics, it's almost impossible to know exactly what that would mean. It doesn't come naturally, that's for sure, because we do not have kings in the United States of America. And because we don't have kings in the United States of America, we have never understood, never experienced 
what it means to live under the authority of someone who holds your life and your death in his hands. I come from Virginia, and I'm convinced that Virginia has the best state flag in the Union. I don't know this Georgia flag. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I'm sorry if that offends you the way it goes. Take a look at the Virginia flag. Google it right now. I'd like for you to, if you have your phones ready, you can see it. Let me describe it to you. It's beautiful, the flag of Virginia. It's got this nice, solid blue satin background, and in the middle of the flag is a circle. Most people know that much. Most Americans know that much about the Virginia state flag. But I want to take you inside the circle because it tells you what Virginians are like. Are you ready? You want to know what a Virginian is like? Here it goes. Inside the circle is a picture. And it's a picture of a man lying dead on his back on the ground. And next to this man is a crown that has fallen off of his head. He's a dead king. And standing over this man, this king lying on the ground, is a woman. And she has a spear in her hand, the sword of this king in her other arm, and she has her foot on the chest of this dead king. Getting it? And written in Latin underneath that image of the woman with her foot on the chest of the dead king are these words in Latin. Sic semper tyrannis, thus always to tyrants. You got the message? We will not have a king in the state of Virginia. And if somebody tries to become our king up there, we know exactly what to do. We send our women after them. (laughs) What, you don't think that's the message? That's the message. We will not have a king rule over us. Sick, semper, tyrannus. Why not? Because human kings when they're given that kind of absolute power, do in fact become tyrants. They have these weird ideas that their agenda is somehow more important than yours, that their honor is more important than your honor, their success is more important than your success, their glory is more important than your glory. Can you imagine a person feeling and thinking that way? They actually believe you ought to be happy to serve their purposes, They actually believe you ought to be happy to die to bring them honor. And when you have people around you like that, it's not a convenient life to have. When Jesus tells his disciples, pray this way, our royal father enthroned in heaven, may your name be kept holy, he is telling us this, that the Lord's agenda is more important than your agenda that the Lord's honor is more important than your honor, that his purposes reign over all, and that we should be delighted to serve his glory. We should be delighted for the privilege of dying for his glory. I don't know how to say this any other way than say this. When you grow up in a country where you have a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people, it isn't long before you have religion that is of the people, by the people, for the people, 
And this is just the opposite of what Jesus declared. The most important thing for you and me to understand out of Jesus' words here in the Lord's Prayer is that we have a king who rules over us. He created us. He gives us every breath we take. And for those of you who follow Christ, he's given you salvation, eternal salvation, as a gift, a free gift. We owe him everything. He owns us, lock, stock, and barrel. Our lives are not our own. It's really that simple. We belong to him, and he reigns, and he rules over us. It's not just the lyrics of a song, as wonderful as these songs have been this morning. It's the reality of everyday life for those who wish to follow Jesus. He is not your granddaddy. He is your king. Okay. I, I kind of like that, frankly, because it gives great honor to the one who made us. We look to him for help in all that we do because he is such a wondrous king. It is troubling and sometimes, though, because he does cause us to have to sacrifice and live for him at great cost. But what a, what a treasure it is to be called to that when you know he's the king of the universe. So when Jesus says this to his disciples, he's saying this is at the top of the list, and we Presbyterians, this is a Presbyterian church if you didn't know that, we have a catechism that sort of focuses on this in its first question and answer. Do you remember what it is? What is the chief end and goal of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why, that's why we summarize the greatest and chief end of humanity in this way, to glorify God. He is our king. He is our king. But Jesus doesn't stop there in the first half of the Lord's Prayer. He goes on to something else, and that is what the king wants. And you know how it goes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. Remember, I told you, Father means king. You see, Father, may your kingdom come. Now, that's an old religious expression that people used to use a whole lot. When the kingdom comes, we would talk that way. I had a grandmother who talked that way all the time. She would always say, when the kingdom comes. And I can remember as a young child, probably about four or five years old, Thanksgiving, big meal, had this big meal. Then we'd go outside and play, and then we'd get a little bit hungry again. And so we came running back into the kitchen, and there's Mama. She's standing at the kitchen sink, no dishwasher in those days, washing the dishes. And we say, Mama, can we have another piece of pie? Can we have some more ice cream? And she folded her towel very neatly and set it on the counter, and she turned around and looked at us, and she said, Sure, boys and girls, when the kingdom comes. So I learned about four or five years old that the coming of the kingdom meant no. <laughs> Never. Get out of here. You might get some one day if you live long enough, but it ain't going to happen today. So it's one of those expressions for most of us, in fact, that we have to admit that we know it's good religious talk to talk about the kingdom coming, but it's hard to put words to it, isn't it? It's hard to explain what it is. And we're very fortunate this morning because our Lord Jesus explained right away what it means to say, may your kingdom come. 
He goes on and he says, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. I've got that, Jesus. That makes sense to me. Because what kind of king would God be? What kind of kingdom would he have if his will wasn't being done, if he wasn't being obeyed? That much, I think, makes sense to us, right off, right off the starting line. But then Jesus says something that might shock you. He goes on to say, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, now here it is, on earth as it is in heaven. Now be careful, because the words of Jesus are about to turn your faith upside down. He's going to do just this to you. You ready for it? I want you to notice something. Where did Jesus want God's kingdom to come? On earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but when I came to Christ, when I first became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, the most important thing that I understood from the person who was telling me about Christ was this, that if I will put my faith in Jesus, if I will give myself to him, then there's going to be this great result. And the great result will be that when I die, I will go into heaven. And it will be a great thing to do. It'll be wonderful to go to heaven to be with God. Okay. And so then that turned into a mission for me, a very strong mission for me as I go through the vicissitudes of life, as I go ups and downs and the lefts and the right turns of life, I had this mission in my heart. And what was the mission? It was to make sure that I got to go to heaven. I mean, why did I ever do the right thing? Well, I want to go to heaven. Why did I repent of the bad things I did? Well, I want to go to heaven. And that became not just something that someone said to me initially, it became my mission in life. And perhaps that's true for you too. That you came to Christ being told that if you'll just come to Jesus, you will go to heaven when you die. And let me assure you that if you do come to Jesus, you will go to heaven when you die. And it will be glorious and it will be wonderful and you'll be so glad that you came to him. It'll be grand to be with Christ in the heavenly places. But when that goal becomes your personal mission, it is different from what Jesus talks about in the Lord's Prayer. Notice what he said the mission of the great king was. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is already being done in heaven. And that's the flip right there. The mission on which Jesus has set every one of his followers is to see something happen on the earth that is already true in heaven. Am I the only person in the room that wonders almost daily, why am I breathing? Sometimes I get up in the morning and I realize I'm going to do the same thing that I did yesterday, today, and it's going to go on the next day, and it's going to be the same the next day, and I just wonder, is it really worth it all? What's the point of all of this? Well, again, I was told, well, just hang in there, Rich. You'll go to heaven. That's your mission. But hear what Jesus' mission is. It is so that the earth will change into a place like heaven.
where his will is done as it's already being done in that heavenly courtroom. So, okay, so let's think about that for just a minute. What, when you read the Bible, what do you find to be true of the creatures who are up there in that heavenly throne room? Well, when you read the Bible, you get this very clear picture that when you're in the throne room of God, you do what God says. You would too if you were before the blinding radiance of God on his throne. You would not even think of doing something contrary to what he says needs to be done. Even the devil, when he's before God, says, yes, sir. But now, when Satan leaves the heavenly place, he does what he wants to do. And of course, so do we. Jesus' dream, Jesus' vision, Jesus' mission, and the mission he gives to you and me is that what is true in the heavenly place will be true here. That obedience to God will be as widespread, as universal. Conformity to what the king wants will be so magnificent that it will be here on this planet as it is already in heaven. And that, that is our mission. Just ask yourself the question, it's a simple question, what does the Bible talk more about? Heaven or the earth? I think you can answer that. It talks much more about life on the earth, doesn't it? And why? Because the mission of God's people from the beginning until now and until Jesus returns is that something happen on the earth. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the earth is a big place, and we've been on this mission for thousands and thousands of years, and people have done all kinds of things to move that kingdom forward. Jesus came, he died on a cross, he was resurrected from the dead, and he took a throne in heaven to begin to establish that kingdom on the earth and to spread it to all the nations of the earth. And for thousands of years, followers of Jesus have known something. They have known that to see God's kingdom spread to the ends of the earth means that we, the followers of Jesus, have got to be ready to sacrifice. We've got to be able to devote ourselves. We've got to be ready to lay our lives down, not to go to heaven, but to change the world into the kingdom of God. We've known it. And so our forebearers, generation after generation, have given up and sacrificed. And by devoting themselves to the kingdom of God, they've let go of the things of this world, the trivial toys that preoccupy us every single day for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's for the sake of the mission What's it all for? Well, it's for this world that Jesus is going to bring one day. A world that's going to be so magnificent. I mean, think of this. Think of it this way. Even in our day, on a day like today, especially a sunny day like this, we look out there and we say, even in a world that's full of corruption and death and sickness and hardship, there are moments when you say, this world is unbelievable. It's such a beautiful place and it's so good to be a human being living in this world that God has given us. This 
dark, violent, horrible existence on earth has its moments of beauty. Well, now imagine this world made new by our King Jesus when he comes back, when he makes all things new. Imagine that world where there is no sickness, where there is no death, where there is no injustice, where there is no pain, no sorrow, no shame for anything you have ever done, no more, but rather a world made new in peace and in harmony where Jesus reigns over it all and the glory of God lights up the sky. That will be the world that Jesus makes when he returns. And on that day, it will all belong to him And he will look at you and he will say, if you followed me, it all belongs to you as well. Come, enter into your inheritance. Take it. It's yours. What a glorious world that will be and what a life that will be. And so, this tells us something about the sacrifices that are required of us now to see that kingdom begin to spread and to move out to every nation on the earth. If for the sake of the kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven, you don't buy that next bigger house, just imagine the mansions of glory that will be yours in the world to come. If for the sake of the coming of the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven, you never see Paris, imagine Paris in the new creation. Paris is an ugly, dirty place right now, by the way. It will shine like the sun one day. It will shine like the sun, and it will be yours. If for the sake of the kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven, you give up that illegitimate relationship that you have. Just think of the fellowship and the friendships and the intimacy and the love that you will experience sharing the new world with Jesus and with every person that has ever followed him. Just imagine it. No one gives up anything in this life without receiving a hundredfold in this life and in the world to come. Jesus said it, he promised it, and it's true. So here we are a people who know that it's going to take sacrifice and devotion And for some of us, even devotion to the point of death to see the kingdom of God come to earth as it is in heaven. And it's time to take up the cause. For far too long, Christians in America have thought they can have the kingdom that's coming and the comforts of this life and the riches and wealth of this life and safety in this life. It cannot be. You must be ready to sacrifice all things at the feet of Jesus for the king who will bring the kingdom. Are you ready for that? Because that's the mission that he's given to us. So think about what your elders have done by having this mission emphasis this time of year. Just imagine what they're doing. They're actually saying to you, consider prayerfully whether or not God has called you to give up almost everything in your life for the sake of going into the mission. In full-time service, somewhere in the world. In a room this size, the Lord is probably tugging on somebody's heart for that very thing, even today. You will not lose if you do. Great will be your reward in the world to come. Imagine 
that King Jesus, as he is, is tugging on your heart, saying to you, you know what you really need to do? What you really need to do is not just put a little poster card on the refrigerator and remember your missionaries that way, but you need to start devoting yourself to prayer and fasting for the ones who are representing you as a church around the world, who are giving up everything for the sake of Jesus and upholding them, or as the apostle says, helping them, helping them with your prayers. And imagine this, that your elders would dare to say, in this day of financial and economic insecurity that all of us know is coming, that they would say to you, this is the time for you to sacrifice even the monies that you have for the sake of the mission. No sacrifice you make will go unnoticed. No help that you give because the King of Glory has called us to this magnificent global mission of bringing the will of God to earth as it is in heaven. Do you hear the call? Do you hear the tug? Do you feel it? It was at the top of the list for Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. And it should be at the top of the list for you and me. So now I have a question. Why should we pray for our daily bread? Just so we won't be hungry? No. It's so that we would be equipped to serve the kingdom coming to earth. Why should we pray for forgiveness of our sins as we forgive others? Just so we can feel better about ourselves and get the load of guilt off our own shoulders? No. It's so that you can serve the king and his kingdom. Why should we pray for temptations to go away and for God to protect us from all the things that distract us from his will, just so that we won't be bothered anymore? No, it's so that we can serve the king and his kingdom. When do you pray? When something big happens. What does Jesus think is the big thing, the most important thing for your life? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.